do you ever feel like there's that tension between yourself and your teacher self? Like sometimes I would say like Laurel really needs to relax and have some like, you know, like just take a break and stuff, but Miss Bingman has papers to grade and that kind of tension. Have you ever felt that as a teacher? Yeah, it's like all the time because you, it's always this, um, you never want to lose a sense of yourself, you know, and you always want to portray to your students your best self, the best form of you, because you want them to strive and be the best form of themselves. So you do that in presenting yourself in your best way. And so those days that I have, like my worst days, like where I personally, I'm just not feeling myself. And it's like, I know I need to still have that strong face or strong front for them. But right now, uh, Tita is just not feeling that way. I'm yeah. just not, you know? <laughs> right. Welcome to Learning in a Time of Corona, a slice of life podcast in which we discuss the living and learning experiences of people in Houston and Mumbai in the context of the coronavirus pandemic. In today's episode, we discuss the individual reflections that our participants from Mumbai and Houston shared with us about their own personal experiences. Many of our respondents from Houston expressed feelings of frustration or confusion. I feel like kind of my uh, go-to word right now is I'm perplexed. That feels like a word that kind of sums up everything. But also, one of the most common experiences was that of isolation. Katie, Vincent, and Teresa all mentioned this in my conversations with them. I would say for me, since I had a really rough year, I really enjoyed like being around my friends at school and like being able to study with them and just have my friends there in person and be able to like go out to lunch or something like that. And so it was just all taken away in an instant. Like you just have to be isolated with, you know, your parents or your siblings, but I'm an only child, so I don't have anyone. And it was just weird being alone all the time and not being able to like see friends and study with them. And some people work better together when they're studying in person because you can motivate your friends. But um, I just, I guess I felt less motivated too just because I was alone and it's not the same. Um, and so I just kind of felt down a lot because I couldn't see my friends. I'm a guy who likes to go out, who likes to go out and run, who, who likes to work out, who enjoys to being out with family and everything. I don't like being at home. I like I feel isolated, you know. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm the type of people who don't really speak out my emotions a lot. Like I just keep every feeling inside of me. And when there's a chance to, I like to let things out. I I take it because I don't I don't really let my emotions out. And mm-hmm. so I kept my emotions in for like longest. I kept I kept them in. Um, I I wasn't feeling myself. I was just being disrespectful to my parents, my mom, uh, my brother, and my little sister. So also, um, at the time, I didn't even know where I was going to college too. I was just like, what's going on? Was I was always planning, okay, I'm going to go to a camp or a soccer camp and then uh, show what I have. And if they, any school wants me, 
and I will, I will attend to that school. But with all this uh, uh, COVID happening, it it shut down everything. No soccer, no no trainings, no school, no baseball, nothing. Mm-hmm. So it 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 got me bummed out. Like there was no hope for me. Like everything that I try to do or everything I I um I want to pursue it stops for some reason. There is breaking points that I didn't even show my parents and them thinking, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. Um, It's just every time I just go to the shower and when I'm showering, I just break down in there, come out with a big smile, telling them I'm okay. Uh, We're gonna go through this, we're gonna be all fine. Um, Motivating my brother, my siblings, hey, bro, when when you go back to high school, hey, just finish strong, sister. Uh, I tell her, hey, get up, go shower, go paint, whatever you like to do. Don't stay just in one place because it, it's actually pretty tough to just be sitting there all day and eat and watch TV. Mm. It brings your mood down. And they started taking the advice. They started going for little walks, uh, messing around with our dog, um, playing, talking to some, uh, they have uh, friend, friend groups, so they're talking to them and they're, I've seen them more happy now than before also. I think it's something unique and weird about 2020 and that we're having to find ways to connect with people, whether it's our friends or in my work right now, like truly complete strangers, like to kind of figure out what's going on with COVID specific to Houston. Um, so connection is definitely a new, a new strong connection, I guess, in 2020 is what I'm trying to say. So most of the people I spoke to are relatively privileged. Almost everyone was running their own organization or NGO. The reflection shared by Metre, Rubin, Marina, Saranch and others centered around a sense of awareness about their own privilege. Because I know I'm in a much better position than like 75% of the people because, you know, I, I don't like... It's it's like we're not going to like run out of savings anytime soon, even if I don't get jobs in like the next six months or like I don't have to take care of my family. We're not going to run out of any of the basic needs. And also we can even have fun because we have enough. It's sort of like there's such a stack like the inequity, uh, like economic inequity, the kind of this, this just like magnifies the whole thing. And definitely you feel like guilty about like you know like like just like the small things that you do you end up feeling like oh wow like you can do this so many people who could have been maybe able to do this will never be able to or like at least for the next four or five years won't be able to and it's it's like we don't feel the impact as much right because of like the socioeconomic background that we come from uh but like a lot of these families it's like going from lower middle class to extreme poverty that the impact of that like psychological impact of that or even just general like with regards to self-respect so metre was also able to share some of the personal experiences of the people she was helping out those were quite different from her own reflections he also used to call me and to, to ask me if I could help him out with rations. But I could hear in his voice, like the hesitance every single time, sort of like the embarrassment that he has to ask someone to help him out with like basic things like 
food these were all anxious times um i think one of the things that i think within these anxious time within the ask for support i think there is also an ask for dignity i think what the what the lockdown did was sort of take away the dignity of the families and these were people who uh, um worked hard earned a livelihood and ensured that they lived a dignified life i think the lockdown sort of just took that away from them Kushbu was one of my respondents who actually worked for an NGO instead of being from the relatively more privileged category of people who establish NGOs. Kushbu was also unfortunate enough to test positive for COVID right at the very start of the pandemic. Her reflections were very different. Thank you so much for your future for me I could really sort sorry ma'am because there are so many problems there. So um sorry means a financial problem bhi hai. शॉप के भी प्रॉब्लम्स है बट जहाँ के लोगों को जो हमें पे करना है उनकी तरफ से कुछ कंटेंशन नहीं किया गया है वो अपने फी पूरे चार्ज कर रहे हैं ये पर्सनली अगर कुछ सीखने की बात आई ना तो सबसे बड़ा सीख तो यही मुझे लेसन मिला है कि टाइम कैसे आता है किसी को बता के नहीं आता है कितना खराब से खराब टाइम आता है बट वो हम पर भी कुछ डिपेंड होता है की हम उस टाइम को फेस कैसे करें Kushbu experienced getting covid at the very beginning of the pandemic when no one knew what was going on when everyone was just paranoid and she was whisked off to a mandatory quarantine facility it was completely unnerving to listen to her experience and we'll try and talk more about that in a future episode where we unpack public health issues but on a personal level with the massive flux the financial and other challenges she struggled with Kushbu shared a lot about how she can hardly bring herself to focus on hope. She talked about how the worst of times come with no warning and it's really on us to figure out how we face them. So can I just say as a fellow student, I completely completely identify with Katie's sense of loss of being in the classroom i'm definitely one of the learners who learns better with people around me and i've been so miserable doing grad classes online oh yeah that's definitely been a real struggle for me as well particularly since our classes are ones that really thrive off of discussion you know um yeah. and so not having that connection it's really difficult to be able to delve as as deeply into the topics of the classes and then also just that sense of isolation as well as just m- missing being able to see people yeah i found that really interesting because so definitely people talked about a sense of isolation in mumbai i mean even like anjali spoke about it but most of my respondents you know and in me included whenever you get into whenever you talk about your own kind of trouble the second you do that immediately everyone corrects themselves into this consciousness of oh but i don't have it so bad and i thought that was really that was really defining of all my conversations with everyone in bombay it was pretty much except of course with khushbu khushbu spoke a lot about her sense of fear and isolation and I just found that you know that that gap between people with privilege and people without was really interesting. Yeah, and I mean definitely in in terms of the 
the people that I was interviewing. You know, I I think that everyone, you know, felt that isolation to an extent, but it was felt most most distinctly by the students that I talked with. And I think that when we think about how students, particularly students in high school or or in college, um, really are at a stage in their lives where socialization is incredibly important for their own personal development. And so thinking about that, it makes a lot of sense that um, my participants, particularly my students, would have felt that much more acutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked about it in episode four as well, in terms of that's some of the intangible stuff that you miss with schooling, right? And like as adults, we kind of learn how to deal with it better. Um, but as a, as a student at that age, like that's so important, that's so critical for development. Yeah. And, and I also think to be fair, in India, it's kind of hard to escape that sense of... Um, consciousness because we've talked about how it's just visible to us all the time like it's constantly staring at you in the face so you do like Maitre said you feel really guilty um and a lot of my respondents actually spoke about how that dignity that was taken away from a lot of communities and a lot of people that affected on a and that's something that I think, again, like only adults would notice mm. and only adults would feel as well. So the reflections of some of the students of Anjali and everyone were centered around the sense of isolation and sense of I can't go to school anymore and I miss that. But the adults who suddenly had their livelihood taken away, the parents of these kids had a completely different um, worry. You know, it was that was it was deeply, deeply disturbing to hear how that dignity and that sense of self was just taken away for so many people. Yeah, it definitely seems like, um, particularly from the Mumbai side, dignity was a common theme that kept arising. Would you mind just expanding a bit more on what dignity means or looks like in the context of Mumbai? I think in this context in particular, it's the sense, so everybody has a sense of place, right? Like we all move through the world with a sense of rootedness and place. And because of like, because of general inequality, socioeconomic inequality, people are used to having less than people around them in, in Mumbai, because you see so much disparity. But what the lockdown did was it took away the ability to perform your job if you were like a daily wage laborer we've talked about domestic workers it took away your ability to do your basic job so you went from someone who was basically standing on their own feet and you were kind of getting you had a salary and you were you weren't living in luxury but you were doing okay um to someone who had to ask for charity and i think in india in particular because there's so much poverty and even within poverty there's layers right there are people who are um extremely extremely poor um some of the people Ruben was helping were like people who needed a lot of assistance but then there are people who are not extremely poor they can they can feed themselves and suddenly when you take that away um you lose that sense of self and responsibility and it's like sirjukana. It basically means like I have to bow my head and ask you for mm -hmm. assistance. 
And I mean, ima- I can imagine that, you know, I don't like asking for help in like regular life, just like anything at all being dependent on other people makes me uncomfortable. So imagine being dependent on people to give you food for you to feed your children. Yeah, that would be really difficult. COVID brought up a lot of questions about our sense of place in the world. Whether it was a consciousness of the things that affect our mental health or just a consciousness of how lucky some of us are, without exception, each and every one of our respondents ended up sharing some of their personal learnings. Uh, I mean, some things are definitely have already changing, like the way we work in communities, you know, ensuring social distancing, Traveling has become, so things have definitely changed. There's no way we can go back to the old ways unless, you know, they find a cure for this and, you know, then actually the whole world goes back to normal. So, yeah, I mean, we are continuing with some of the work, but the methods of doing it have definitely changed. Like, you know, there are all these online meetings now and this is something we would have never dreamed of doing six months ago. You know, a community meeting is a community meeting. It's held in the community in a center there. So, yeah. And that can be on various, like a lot of people who are very into the environment are like, you know, so much has changed just when, you know, human interaction stopped and, you know, there was less traffic and, you know, it's been so good for the environment. So, with whichever lens people are willing to look at things, it's fine. I just hope, you know, everyone has learned something from this. I think personally, I realized that to sort of, keep my sanity. Um, I need to one stop taking info specifically from news. So I stopped watching news. Uh, And this is the 24 hour news that we have. And so said, no, I will not watch news. Um, I think took to reading newspapers much more because there um, you can control the speed. You can control something that you are watching and you can have much more control over what is it that you sort of want to do. And so stop watching news focused on reading newspapers. I think got onto a lot of call with the teams itself. The minimalistic living is uh, uh, something which I think we have all learned. You know, I have hardly worn, worn my office clothes. You know, they have been lying in the cupboard and suddenly I realized well, I, I don't need so many. I know I can just survive with very few. Um, I can survive a minimalistic life. I don't need so many things, so many materialistic things in my life. So the, I think that is... Uh, uh, a key takeaway from all of this that uh, we have all realized the importance of um, self growth without actually uh, uh, compromising uh, you know uh, uh, creating that climate change or without compromising environment without creating chaos in the world it is possible to lead a life so i think uh, uh, that realization is there yes I just look at open my cupboard and I feel that we can do with much, much less materialistically. We need to think of our environment. There are so many things like useless travel, useless purchases, all that, you know, we need to give back to society. I think the one was the main thing is uh, optimum utilization of resources. How do you do complete justice? And not unnecessary budget things, you know, which may... And when we realized that 20-30% donation is coming down, we also cut down on our budgets 20-30% because digital hai or kya lagega. And you manage. Manage, manage So then I think thoda sa... And personally also, I think we tend to just spend 
so much mm. unnecessarily mm. so that unnecessary monkeying that happens you know yeah, yeah, monkeying yeah. um, in the every aspect now i don't want to go into specifics basically yeah, yeah. monkeying going here they they are unnecessary uh, that i think can be more focused and saying that okay itna hi karenge acha karenge yeah, you know yeah. even in your personal life you yeah, yeah. just uh, cut down on many unnecessary things that uh, you we tend to everything for the society is the same thing you value what you have use the maximum and work on the quality so oh, absolutely i think we need to live life to the fullest uh uh we as i said right we have to be nicer human beings we have to be more mindful human beings uh i think one of the biggest learnings has been that nature has cured itself in a very big way whether it is uh, quality that we are seeing uh or uh, uh just the fact that you know we can see stars in mumbai uh in a way that we couldn't see before i mean and i happen to be uh, somebody holding a masters degree in astronomy oh my gosh i've actually i've learned a lot but it's been a lot of self reflecting during this time of um pandemic um that at the end of the day the most important thing is like self care because you can give and give all you can to issues to other people to material things but it's what you do for yourself and how you take care of yourself that's going to matter at the end of the day you know mm-hmm. so cuz like sometimes i get to the point where i just have to turn everything off and just be in silence and be in still you know because you can get so wrapped up in all of that and it's like at the end of the day what what is it actually <laughs> doing to me you know not mm-hmm. for me but to me what what does my spirit look like how do i feel inside you know right am i going to bed talking about this am i going to bed just feeling stressed for no reason you know mm-hmm. so during this time i just have learned to just take care of me you know do what i have to do to make sure that i'm good you know and then i can give back to everyone else once i've taken care of me <laughs> what i've learned is um my how strong i can be uh like personally like not as like masculine or so, stuff like that but like my mental mentally like i i'm used to relying on people i'm used to trying to rely on my mom my dad teachers and other other friends but in this moment it's it taught me that a lot of people are not going to be there in most of the time you know uh it taught me that it will be tough to understand but at the same time you just got to rely on yourself this is the point that if do you want to keep being successful or do you just want to stay back and be a regular person just be is working as in the job that you might not even like and this pandemic has taught me that I'm actually 10 times stronger than what I thought I was so it really struck me that so many of your participants from Mumbai were talking about the environmental impacts of this and just minimalist 
living and how we can adjust how we live. To be honest, it really struck me too because I feel like, especially in Bombay, I feel like in any like really dense urban places, you kind of forget about the environment because you don't really, you're not experiencing it in cities. You know, you right. you don't have to worry about weather as like a thing to especially in like a tropical city so yeah it surprised me too but I think I think it's more like this awareness like like you said it's like tying tying your individual impact on the environment so like I need less stuff Mm -hmm. um, and how that indirectly affects the environment yes definitely in urban environments we we don't feel as directly connected to nature but I found that imagery that Ruben mentioned of finally being able to see the stars I mean simultaneously beautiful and then also heartbreaking just to think about how this has shown us what we could have but what we haven't had for so long in that way I completely agree I think that that was really powerful for a city like Mumbai like I've talked about the only way to understand Mumbai is that it's always going and then to have it stop like that. And even for me, you know, even with all the heartbreak and all the hardships and just how terrible a time it's been, those moments of quiet were really special. It was like going back to the Mumbai of my childhood. My grandparents, it was like even more. It was like going back way more in time. And I think even though in a different way, but I kind of felt like Vincent came at the same conclusion in terms of imagining what we could have because he was talking about work and life and what you can accomplish with your life where you want to be and that's sort of to me it's the same sort of reflection here we're thinking about the environment and imagining what our city could be and Vincent's talking about what his own life could be you know like we we get caught in a rat race and this whole time kind of made a lot of people realize that you don't have to live that way we shouldn't be living that way right and um and just i think both saranch and arquette were really speaking to how taking a step back is sometimes really important um taking that pause like you said you know we're so used to our cities kind of constantly going 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 but being able to take that pause sometimes um for ourselves stepping back from the news stepping back from everything that's going on um is really important for for our own mental health so that we can give back in the future as well and just take care of ourselves yeah I completely agree with the importance of self-care and kind of being mindful of placing yourself at like an important kind of even though most of my respondents were reflecting on like how their lives are privileged or like how their uh, privilege affects their daily life I still feel like that element of self-care is is so critical it's so important and I completely agreed with Saranj when he said he took a step back from the news I did the exact same thing especially (laughs) like in the middle in the thick of it when you know there was this there was so much crazy news like let's never forget that we had news days which were monkeys stole covid vial from lab and ran away and things like that you know (laughs) yeah you need a break it was it was too much Yeah, I mean, in the U.S. this past week has definitely sent us a lot of um, really difficult news, um, really 
I know for myself, I've, I've felt <laughs> definitely a bit down from a lot of the news that we've been seeing recently. Um, and, and I have found that sometimes I just need to not have the news constantly going all the time or else it, it really does have an impact on my mental health. Yeah, absolutely. I do, I do feel like news and reflection and all of those things have been a positive thing but I also feel like it's very important to kind of cut even cut reflection cut all of that time and just I think as um, our cat said take a breath Mm -hmm. take a pause as our participants mentioned Sometimes it is necessary to take a step back from the news for the sake of our own mental health. However, there inevitably comes a time when we must face the daunting task of confronting those difficult and often divisive topics and conversations. In Houston, many respondents talked about a need for us to think beyond ourselves and have more compassion for people who are suffering in this time. But additionally, Given the political divisiveness we are currently seeing in the U.S., this empathy was also spoken of in the context of navigating disagreement. I think when it comes to, like, consumption of media, like, it's very specific people I'm watching on television, whether it's, like, Trevor Noah or John Oliver, and, like, the things I like to read off of constantly are, you know, sort of your major newspapers, like, or I guess news sources as well, like NPR, The Atlantic, you know, Washington Post, things like that. Um, And I think what that does mean, and I've definitely kind of heard this sort of conversation in the past, is at least when you're on your different social media platforms, you're just constantly kind of being bombarded by messages that make sense to you. Um, And I think what that's meant is I just don't really know what other perspectives necessarily look like, which is something I definitely have to be more aware of and work on. I actually spoke with a coworker recently who was sort of on a different end of that spectrum than I was. And it was interesting to speak with her just because it was really clear, like we both had really valid perspectives, but we were just getting completely different sources of information because like, I don't listen to the same radio show my, you know, good friend does, which is kind of weird. So I think there's definitely the instability on the science side, but also just the instability, I think, in terms of society. And no one really knows what's up and down because there isn't like a clear vision for what that looks like right now. I think what is important to note is I've definitely been really frustrated by individual actions in the past by people who are just like, oh, I'm going to, you know, go to a bar and not wear a mask and like be, you know, less than six feet from my friend kind of thing and not be protected. But Um, One of my good old teacher friends actually was just kind of emphasizing recently that rather than, I think, being upset about individual people and their choices, it's probably better to direct that towards, like, different power structures or people in positions of power who are communicating that certain things are okay, because that's just really what individuals are doing. They're I think we have to assume they're trying to make the best choice for themselves based on the information they like understand and absorb. I think the things that I'm certainly relearning or learning more about is um, our compassion and empathy. 
I think that one of the reasons that we are struggling as a nation right now is we haven't learned how to have real discourse. We have been told my whole life, I've been told to not talk about politics, not talk about religion and not talk about money. But money is the thing that allows us to get the things that we need. Religion and politics both guide how we live our lives. All three topics are essential and none of us know how to talk about them. We can be very polite and keep it all inside or we can, you know, rage scream. It seems like Americans, for the most part, <laughs> kind of have those two modes. We are never really taught how to have conversations about difficult topics. And I'll be honest, I don't know how to teach that. You know, that's, I feel like I, I would love to take that class. If somebody were to offer a class on here is how to have a difficult conversation, and not let it devolve into like rage screaming, I would say take all my money because that is a skill that I would love to have and I would also love to teach. You know, we need to learn how to have these conversations and we need to learn how to be able to share our ideas. Because we're not sharing our ideas, our deepest, our deepest thoughts about, you know, again, who deserves what we are making assumptions about what other people think. That's another big thing I think that we're missing right now is the ability to admit that you were wrong and to be graceful about it and not, not get upset and not get petty and not you know, throw a temper tantrum or whatever, but you know, to admit that you were wrong. And then the other piece that we're missing out on is giving people that grace, giving people the space to say, you know, I used to think this, but I've learned from it and I've changed. We have to be willing to let people change what they know. For me personally, I, I just go back to like empathy, right? Um, like a lot of the time, the stories that I hear conservative people have are in response like the empathy that they want are in response for the empathy being expressed by someone progressive. It's like black lives matter. Well, my life matters too. Dang, you look, you, you're concerned about your life as a result of my, me saying mine matter. Right. Um, I grew up in like low income housing and I grew up in like, you know, X, Y, and Z. Well, white people have that too, right? You know what I mean? Like it, it's always in response to. So then like just morally for me, it's like I hear the facts, I'm gonna hear the story. And then I wanna empathize with the person who's, who, who's bringing it to the forefront, not in response, but just out of experience. In Mumbai too, my respondents expressed hope that empathy would be the emotion that helps us acknowledge and overcome systemic inequalities. I think if this pandemic has taught us anything, it is A, the fragility of, uh, of human life as we know it. Uh, B, that uh, going, I mean, stemming from that is empathy. How can you not have empathy? for an ephemeral existence where you can actually die within the next few days, 
if you actually contracted the virus and if you had absolutely no immunity. So not only has that scared us and not only we are in awe of the fact that we are alive, but I think we have to be empathetic to people, uh, to people who are less privileged than us. And I think uh, that is, I guess, uh, that commonality of fate that, you know, Mosquito is more socialist than Karl Marx. No? Uh, that, is, that, is some, that is an example that I always give. That it doesn't make a distinction in biting the rich or the poor or biting people living in their air-conditioned flats or uh, the urchin on the road. And I think it's, it's, when, it's when we look at this, not only from this enlightened self-interest perspective, which always was there, but I think also from an empathetic perspective that hey, they're humans too. If there is injustice, uh, if there is some injustice uh, being meted out to them, and if they're in a bad shape sooner or later, you know, we might be there too. So I think right. that empathy, that enlightened self-interest needs to, needs to slowly percolate. So I think mm-hmm. this empathy at the heart of, is at the heart of everything, is at the heart of accountability, is at the heart of good government, is, is, at, the heart, is at the heart of discipline, is at the heart of success, is, is at the heart of civic sense. But that empathy shouldn't be lost. And I, and I just hope that people are much more empathetic and I think that's, that's at least true for me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be a much more empathetic professional. I'm going to be a much more empathetic politician. I'm going to be a much more empathetic uh, social entrepreneur. I'm, and I'm much more empathetic commercial entrepreneur. So, that's, so that's, that's, that's my learning for me. If your identity is already like threatened and if you're already feeling unsafe, especially when something like a pandemic breaks out and when everything is uncertain, that has like that takes an extra toll on you especially right. because they're also like so there, there's like there's like many layers of uh, sort of discrimination like the fact that they're muslim also the fact that they're muslims who are not originally from bombay and right. uh, i'm sure like a lot of these families are also like so to speak like uh, oppressed castes like you right. know muslims yeah, because but, like belonging muslim, to castes yeah right. exactly so, so there's yeah. like many layers of yeah like if you're so, if you're a konkani muslim in in mumbai mm-hmm. i feel like you'd be a lot better off than yeah because you can speak the language also you can speak marathi right. really well and right. then right. all of and those things local, also play yeah. yeah and then you you it's sort it. of have like a better relationship with like the local cops as well because it's like to me exactly exactly yeah, sorry, so I'm basically a- saying it's like saying that you're basically one of us when, when you're caste and when you're local, when you're regional versus mm-hmm. when you're an immigrant, so to speak, right? Yeah, so that that is another thing, another factor that plays a role. But like apart from that, what I found was uh, uh, that like within the community, uh, there's a lot of like solidarity, like even people who are from Bombay who live in the same slum, uh, who are not necessarily migrants they are like because they so they can use the ration they have the ration card which they can use to get ration free of course so for me when I'm thinking about the context of the United States right now I mean I think it's it makes a lot of sense that the participants from Houston were speaking to empathy in terms of navigating disagreements just because we are in the middle of a very contentious election year right now. Um, And 
To me, Teresa and Jeremy's points about recognizing the root of where disagreement is coming from really struck me and um, also speak to the grace that I think Sarah was mentioning. I absolutely agree with the um, the idea of empathy, but I actually I have a question for you with regards to something Jeremy touched on, and I'm curious about what you think. What does it mean, though, when you say to have empathy for people who are disregarding your kind of right to life? You know, Jeremy touches on people say, well, the response to Black Lives Matter is, oh, but my life matters too. Like, that's a tough moment to express empathy. And I think what Jeremy said, I personally really believe that, but that's really hard. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I I do think, thank you for mentioning that. I do think it's a really important point to clarify that being empathetic in a situation like that um, is incredibly exhausting. And I also don't think it's necessarily fair um, to expect someone who is um, oppressed in that conversation to provide this like endless source of empathy for the person that is currently expressing um, really oppressive ideas about their humanity, right? So I do think that's really important. And I also think that that's kind of where the role of privileged people in justice movements can play a a good role, um, where, you know, I can, as a white person, um, talk with my grandparents about racial justice without it being as much of an emotional burden for me just because I'm not directly impacted by that injustice so I can take on a bit of that load for myself um, because you're right it's not necessarily fair um, even though it might be necessary in in certain circumstances it's not fair to expect someone in that situ- situation or that circumstance to um, to have to put up with that or just be this endless source of empathy so it's it's almost like people with privilege using empathy as a tool to educate other people with privilege it's and it's kind of what a little bit of what my respondents were doing as well when they're talking about when Ruben's talking about you know everyone is human like there's like an underlying humanity at everything and kind of using that as a mechanism that actually addresses Teresa's point where she was like how do we get how do we teach and we talk about this a lot in in grad school right like how do we teach uncomfortable about uncomfortable subjects and situations and Similar kind of situations in India, we don't talk about, we don't like to talk about religion, even though it's the big elephant in the room. And I think that empathy as a tool to have uncomfortable conversations is a very important one, like calling back to the fact that everyone's human and that everyone deserves that basic dignity that we've been speaking about through this episode. That's, but you're absolutely right, though. I feel like there's definitely something to be said there for like not expecting people who are disenfranchised or oppressed in different contexts to be, as you said, like endless wells of empathy. You know, we have this expectation that you need to keep speaking, like offer the other cheek, keep speaking nicely. And I feel like that is being problematized a bit more. But I, I do still also think that 
if you are coming from a context where you are being where you are the the party that's suffering the injustice expressing empathy is also a form of self-care in my mind because mm. you express empathy to the extent where you understand where the person's coming from and you acknowledge that this person is not maybe not going to change their mind or I can't change their mind anyway and you take a step back you know like empathy in that in that form as well is I think is really really important that is such a great point yeah that it almost can serve that self-care purpose um employing that yeah exactly yeah one thing though I have to mention is that in India a lot of times empathy gets convoluted into this patronizing Mm. thing like acknowledgement of your privilege becomes like this very like ah I must help these poor unfortunate Mm. souls and I don't think that's that's the right way to go about it either it's not you should it shouldn't be an acknowledgement of oh they're just not on the same level as me mm-hmm. so it's okay I don't expect them to know better that's patronizing mm-hmm. and I think that happens a lot like being patronizing gets confused for empathy in India and that like that has to go yeah definitely so it's kind of em- empathy turns into more of this like savior complex almost yes yeah yes that's yeah. that's super well put and I imagine that would happen in the United States to a certain extent as well. I mean, I know that I've experienced in India the white savior complex, you know, like people coming and being like, oh, let us help these poor people. Yeah, I think that's because, you know, rather than it be tr- being truly empathy, it's more people are employing sympathy um, in a way that that ends up depriving people of their own dignity, um, which can be really toxic and harmful. Um, I think also it's interesting because I feel like sometimes this call to empathy, while I definitely, you know, agree that thinking about ways that we can learn to engage in these discussions in a more empathetic way can be really helpful. I also feel like sometimes it can end up being patronizing in its own way when that call is being made to people that are in marginalized or oppressed positions um, because it it almost ends up feeding into this narrative of, oh, if you would only ask more nicely... (laughs) then you Mm -hmm, would be afforded your human rights and um i don't think that's necessarily a healthy mindset either um so so like you said it's it's more of this this balance that has to be struck Mm -hmm. yeah yeah totally agree but yeah i mean on the broad spectrum of things there's always ways to kind of problematize and break down simple concepts but in a very very broad way i feel like I really appreciate that all our respondents gave us empathy um, as a common, and we didn't really, we didn't prompt that. We didn't use that word ourselves, you know, that came naturally (laughs) from so many respondents, which was actually really nice. But I think that's really powerful. And to me, it gives me a little bit of hope that at the bottom line, at the end of it all, in the midst of all the worst and all the chaos and all the hopelessness, as human beings, we like to connect. We like to feel like we stand together, you know. And I think that we shouldn't lose that hope in our cynicism. And I find myself losing that hope very often. <laughs> yeah, myself as well. I definitely feel like one of the greatest 
positive things that has come through us doing this project together is just being able to hear so much hope um, coming from so many different people. You know, um, it's definitely been really inspiring for me as well. Me too. In this episode, we focused on some of the personal feelings and insights our respondents have shared with us. Something that shined throughout both our sets of interviews was all our respondents focusing on their reflections on the idea of us building more empathy between communities. Next episode, we will explore how our communities can learn and grow from this experience, as well as the reasons our participants gave for why we can maintain hope that positive change will come in the future. That's next time on Learning in a Time of Corona. To learn more about the topics we touch on, the people we interviewed, and the organizations they work with, visit our website, learninginatimeofcorona.com. This podcast is written and produced by Laurel Bingman and Gauravi Lobo. Music and sound mixing by Shikharnath Qureshi. Special thanks to the University of Toronto for funding this project.